couple of things before we get into our sermon this morning. The first is we are aiming to have our doors open again and to have a limited number of people coming back to church. So uh, this Sunday, this is hopefully, Lord willing, will be the last Sunday where I'm looking around and it's just the amazing team that you've seen here uh, on the platform or behind the scenes. Next Sunday, we're going to do a bit of a test run. We're going to invite uh, staff and our elders and those involved with worship and their families to come just to sort of test things out. Let's kind of see how it feels uh, to be back in here, social distance, mass, and the whole thing. And then July 12th, uh, mark your calendars because then for the 12th, in just a couple of weeks, we're going to open registration so you can come and be a part of the live stream. Now, if you sign up, uh, please plan to come. If, if you sign up and you know within 48 hours you can't make it, you don't feel comfortable coming, not a problem, but just let us know. And so we can make sure someone who's on the wait list can be a part of the service. But we will continue to have the live stream. And maybe later in the summer, we're going to see about having another one of those outdoor services. When, when it's for sure there's no rain. I think that's August, right? Maybe late July, August time. 100% certainty, right? That's what we're promising, okay? The other thing I want to mention before we get started is prayer. Prayer is so vital, my friends. And you know that, and we know that, and we've been engaged in our prayer and praise every Thursday night. But as your pastor, I want to express a concern, and the concern is this. We are not hearing your prayer requests nearly as much as we were uh, back before the pandemic, on a typical Sunday morning, there would be anywhere from 25, 30, 40 prayer requests that would come in, and our deacons and our prayer uh, warriors and our staff would be praying over those requests. We would be writing postcards to send to you to let you know that we're praying for you. And that has just reduced down to just a trickle, just a trickle. So please send in your prayer requests. Post it right now on Facebook or YouTube. There, there'll be a link to the website, the link there to go and send a prayer request. I would love tomorrow morning to see, again, those numbers of many dozens of prayer requests or praises, things you're thankful for, things that you want uh, help with in prayer that we can intercede on your behalf. Okay, that's it. Let's get started. Prayer. It's a good segue because I've been praying a lot. I've been praying a lot about the crisis and the troubles that we're all facing. It's a real mess. And as I've thought about this coming series for the summer, I've said, Lord, Lord, what would you have us preach on, focus on, look into? Where are you leading us, Lord? What do you want us to hear and then do? God doesn't just want to have us have open ears. He also wants us to have feet ready and fitted with the gospel to do something. So what is it, Lord, that you'd have us do? And I've heard the Lord say loud and clear these three words, Jesus is better. Jesus' answers are better than all the answers out there, all the pundits, all the talking heads. Jesus' answers are better. The way of life that Jesus offers is better than any other way of life. And the good news of Jesus is better. So, so that's our focus right here. We're kicking off our series Jesus is better, a practical guide uh, to Christian living. Really want to make this as practical as we can. How-tos of Christian principles uh, of living the Christian life and applying it in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of social uprising, 
in workable ways that, that grow our godliness and do justice. That's what God calls us to do. He wants us to be more like Jesus, and he wants to, us to enact the kingdom. So to grow in godliness and to do justice. So our, our prayer this series this summer you're going to have other voices uh, coming in from our team that will be lifting up these words, but that it would be relevant answers to the pressing questions that Jesus has in the midst of a crisis. So we're going to be looking at the book of Hebrews. See if you can find it. It's after Philemon, which is a letter, by the way, that Paul writes to a friend dealing with a, a brother who had been a slave is now free. Very relevant. And it's before uh, we get to the book of James. So Find that book, and here we go, the book of Hebrews. Now, I would be doing it injustice if I just jumped right to the end of the book, sort of like when you go Cheesecake Factory, order the cheesecake first before the, uh, does anyone do that? Do you ever order the cheesecake before you order the main course when you go cheesecake? Absolutely. You want to make sure you get all those calories in before you get the, the, the good stuff. Well, that's what we're doing. We're getting to the good stuff. We're getting to the principles. We're getting to the application of the book of Hebrews, which is really a letter, which really is a sermon. We'll get to that. So I don't want to skip the first 11 chapters. Give me a couple of minutes to run through very quickly to set up those practical guidelines, the principles of Christian living. And let me just try to cover in, in two minutes. <laughs> you're going you're to time me, Rob? Really? You've got a clock now. Okay. I'm going to try to cover two-thirds of this incredible Book of Hebrews, so we can understand what's going on in Hebrews. Okay, chapter 1, verse 1. No, we won't, we won't do that. Let me go a little bit bigger, 30,000-foot version of it. Uh, nobody knows who the author of this letter is, but even as Pastor Frank said, it was an author, a pastor, writing to Jewish converts, people who were Jewish by birth, by heritage, by bloodline, who had accepted Jesus as the Messiah, and these first century Jewish converts to Christianity were in the midst of their own crisis. Troubling times. Incredible pressure. They've got an unavoidable decision to make when this letter lands at their doorstep. They can either go back to the familiar, the safe, the routine lifestyle of, of their Jewish heritage and religion, they can go back to that way of life or they can continue to take a significant risk and stick with this growing body of people known as Christians, followers of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth. That was the choice. And I'm talking major pressure on them. In the midst of social uprising, like what would you do? A new convert could lose everything. Could be thrown out of the temple, could be tossed into jail. Yes, even could be tortured and killed for following Jesus. And this letter is written with one big theme. Jesus is better. That's simple. The, the, the whole book of Hebrews written to these Jewish converts is to make, in making the biggest decision of their life and sticking with it is to argue with them. Jesus is better. You've made the right choice. Stick with it. Don't turn back. The, the author painstakingly makes this argument using 80 different references to the Old Testament. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound a little bit like our Revelation series? 
with all the references to the Old Testament. We're not going to go through those. We're not going to go through them. We're jumping to the application, folks. After making that argument, he has some things to say. He wants to tell these people, listen, you've made the right choice. Don't go back and don't go to some off-brand, offshoot version of Judaism that, that puts itself out there as followers of Jesus. Don't do that. Don't turn back. Jesus is better. He says, God's full final revelation is through Jesus. Jesus is better than all the past prophets and priests. He's bigger and better than Moses and Abraham. The covenant that he brings is bigger and better than the old covenant and the old way of doing things, the old system. And Jesus is better because he has once and for all atoned for our sins. The tomb is empty. Follow Jesus. All of that leads up through chapter 10, and then you get to chapter 11. And in chapter 11, it's sort of the who's who of those who followed God. Now listen, these people were in real danger. It was costly to follow Jesus, socially, economically, that you would lose your social network and support if you follow Jesus. It was bad for your health. And yet the author says, it's better. And in chapter 11, he says, look at the example of those who've gone before throughout the Hebrew scriptures. And I would call that a whole separate sermon series. We could, we could do that sometime. Somebody remind me. Faith in action. That'll be the next series sometime. Hebrews chapter 11. We'll just work backwards. We'll just keep working backwards. This is how it ends. If you're looking in your scripture, uh, open your Bible to chapter 11, verse 39 and 40. Let me just read it for you. Uh, the, the lead into our series for the rest of the summer. It says this, these, meaning all those incredible men and women of the faith, the faith in action, these were all commended for their faith. Verse 39. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something, wait for it, better for us, so that only together with us, would they be made perfect? What's he saying there? He's saying, as great as their faith was and the incredible things God did through those people and their faithfulness, all the promises of, of God were yet to come. They were fulfilled in Jesus. And now, folks, you and I, Jews and Gentiles, can enjoy something better for us. I'm going to catch my breath for a second there. I have not been doing enough cardio. That's chapters 1 through 11. How long did that take, Rob? Exactly. I'm not even looking at him. He's saying it was way over time. Don't care. <laughs> the author of the book of Hebrews goes on to, to use an analogy that we see a number of times. It's kind of a well-worn analogy for faith. What does it mean to live the Christian life? What does it mean to practically walk with Jesus? And he says it's not walking, it's running. He uses the analogy of running a race. You've heard the expression, life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, found here in Scripture. Now, I've never run a marathon, so I can't really relate. I'm sure that analogy is very true, but I've never run that far. But I have run a Spartan 5K obstacle course five years ago. And my life experience of walking with Jesus through all the ups and downs and things I've shared with you, a little bit of my story just two weeks ago, I would not describe 
my journey of faith these past 30 years with Jesus as running for four or five hours on paved concrete through a city. For 26 miles, I couldn't do that, but I, I don't see it that nice smooth path. I know my marathoners are going to hear from, no, but for me, my, my, just something for, for me, for my experience. It's a slog, five kilometers up and down through mud and brambles and branches and obstacles and getting bruised and battered like this Spartan race that I did five years ago. Now, let me explain to you what a Spartan race is. A Spartan race is uh, a form of cruelty to oneself. <laughs> I was in the best shape of my life five years ago. I was working out five days a week. Uh, HIT training is high-intensity interval training. I would work out five days a week, learn how to, how to lift weights, was in the best shape of my life, and I thought I was invincible at that point. Not really. Remember when Matt said, when someone confronted him, he said, two guys, I got this, four guys, I got He said, six guys, I would be running it like one guy. One and a half guys, I'd be running the other way. But I'm still feeling pretty healthy, and I'm approached by my youth pastor, Vince E. Tomey, uh, and Vince was a former Marine, and he said, Pete, Pastor Pete, join me on this Spartan race. We go as a team. We work together as a team, and my buddies from my old unit are going to join together. You can join us. We can lock arms and go through this. It's 26 obstacles. Like, like what? Well, monkey bars. Okay, I haven't done that since I was a kid. Rope climbs, Hercules hoist, whatever that is. Bucket carries. I don't know what that is. A five-gallon bucket filled with rocks. Okay, uh, Atlas, hoist, all these things, it's fun. You can throw spears, it'll be great. And I signed up, because I'm proud, and I'm an idiot. And I decide, okay, I'm not gonna do this alone, I'm gonna take my nephew Christopher, who is a nationally ranked, world-class crew guy. 19 years old, like this kid was ripped, he still is. I said, Christopher, you're gonna be my backup, you need to be my bodyguard. If we get separated from the, the pack, you're going to help me. You got to hoist old Uncle Pete over these walls. No problem, he says. So we get to the race. It's 103 degrees in Mechanicsville, Maryland, with 95% humidity. They're releasing waves of runners 250 at a time all day long. The elites go first early in the morning. It's probably about 2 o'clock, 2.30 in the afternoon when we're supposed to release. We're, we're corralled in a little area. I'm surrounded by military people. Basically, this was Marines, airmen, soldiers. Ooh, everyone's super pumped up. And I'm thinking, what have I gotten myself into? Can I go back to my little gym? And they sound the horn. And two things happen. First thing, I realize I'm separated from Vince and the pack of Marines. I've lost contact with them. And the second thing that happens, my nephew Christopher looks to me and says, um, Uncle Pete, do you mind if I run ahead? And I said yes, and he finished in under an hour. And I continued for three and a half hours going through these obstacles and being more bruised and battered than ever before. I'm telling you this long story. I don't really like it when pastors tell long stories, but it's going to relate. It's going to relate, okay? Because I believe the Christian faith is like an obstacle course like this. So this is what it looked like at the end of the race. You go under barbed wire for 50 yards through the mud, and through the muck, and then they have you jump over fire. Now, do you see that middle part of my body? That is not the, 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 
the beer belly that I have now, that's mud that I've been carrying, a good extra 15 pounds of mud that I've been slogging through. Please show the next slide and then let's be done with this. There it is. That is the look of, she looks like she's happy. Does he look like he's happy? I think he's questioning the choices he's made in life. Okay, let's be done with that. So there it is. Okay, Ed, please. (laughs) What has your Christian experience been like? Has it been like a marathon? Has it been a stroll in the park? Or like an obstacle course? Let's look at verse one. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And so I'm gonna have four principles if you're taking notes. I wanna make it really practical. Principle number one, practically, here it is, in living the Christian life and finishing strong, is to be inspired by those who've gone before you. This great cloud of witnesses is inspiring. I'd encourage you, on your own, study chapter 11 of Hebrews. Go back and look at each one and go back to the text. It's inspiring. Now, I don't think literally there's a crowd looking down on us right now from heaven. I think they're busy worshiping God, but I think the author here really is speaking to being inspired by their testimony inspired by their journey of faith, by the obstacles that they faced. So to finish strong, we need to be inspired by those who've gone before us. The great legacy of of men and women, and maybe if you've come from a Christian family, I mean, Rob was just mentioning at the beginning, what what a beautiful testimony to have people in your life who've who've journeyed through faith and we can look back to and we can, can rely on their experience but there are testimonies all around. Look at the people you're sitting with right now. They all have a story to tell. So look to them, be inspired by them. Make those people the heroes that you care about to look at their example. The example of incredible missionaries who sacrificed everything for the sake of the gospel. And people that that turn their whole vocation towards a way of using it for God's purposes business women and, and men and doctors and teachers and, and shop owners and people that just went through life, librarians, but they had faith. Homemakers raised their kids and blessed their neighbor kids to know Jesus. Be inspired by those stories. That's number one. Number two, the number two thing the author gives here is a practical principle to, to apply that will serve you uh, very well in growing in godliness and doing justice and living fully. And let me just define, godliness is being uh, devoted to conforming to the design of God. That's what godliness is. We want to be conformed to the design of God. And doing justice is a term, simply it means doing the right thing. Doing what should be done. Justice is one of God's attributes that flows out of his holiness. So if you want to grow in godliness, you want to do justice, you want to do the right thing, here it is. Here's where it starts. Right here in your heart. Look at the first step. It's two parts. Number one, let us throw off everything that hinders. Now this is the same with running a race, isn't it? When, when a runner's getting ready to race, she just drops any kind of extra weight. You know, you, don't, you take off the jacket 
and, and you just drop things that, that weigh you down. So here's my question, my friends. What is weighing you down spiritually? What extra weight are you carrying right now? In a word, I would say what weighs most Christians down, what holds us back spiritually, in one word, is worldliness. Worldliness is the opposite of godliness. Worldliness is the condition of being overly interested with worldly affairs. Especially when it means neglecting your spiritual health. What are you caring in this world and caring more about in this world that is holding you back and weighing you down? The Apostle Paul equates worldliness with spiritual immaturity. So there's godliness. That's what we want. We want to be more conformed to Christ. We want to live the way God's designed us. The opposite of that is worldliness. And when Paul looks at men and women who are worldly, he says they are spiritually immature. They are out of shape. They're carrying extra weight. See, I've, I've got my t-shirt so I can fit into it. But, you know, that midsection, you know, late 40s. Listen to what Paul says to the church in Corinth. He's trying to correct these Christians who are becoming more and more worldly. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. Verse three, you are still worldly. See, he calls them brothers and sisters. He says, yes, you are saved. Yes, you are redeemed. Hallelujah. What a savior. Let's praise the Lord. But you are a child spiritually. Verse four, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? So so let's just track this with me. Worldliness is the opposite of godliness. Worldliness is putting other priorities first, caring about other things, getting your priorities out of whack and out of step with the spirit. It's doing the wrong thing. It's often expressed in being selfish, self-serving. And here Paul says worldliness He defines it in two ways, jealousy and quarreling. What would happen in the church if we could do away with jealousy and quarreling? If we could do away with comparing ourselves to others and bickering? And Paul says, you are children. I have to just keep feeding you milk. I can't give you real meat because you're acting like kids fighting. And Paul's talking to Christians here, but they lack Maturity meant, it means that they are still acting as if they are unsaved out of their jealousy and quarreling. So what does that look like today? What does that look like in your life? What is weighing you down and holding you back? And what does God want you to drop even now? Friends, I want you just to take a moment and examine yourself. Not, not the outside, you got the t-shirt, okay, we're, we're, we're saved, I got the shirt, I got the medal, I've got the, the bumper sticker. No, but, 
Examine your convictions, your fears, your beliefs, your failings. Examine what preoccupies your life and your mind. What weighs us down more than anything right now? I'm just going to give you one practical thing. That technology in your hand right now or in your pocket. Social media, for starters. Materialism, for starters. Selfish entertainment, constantly being fed. Like just, just zooming it into our brain cells, constantly being fed something that, what's it doing? It's distracting us from getting real. Is that, am I alone? Is that just me? Everyone's looking up from their phones right now. Like, wait, what? did he say something important? Tweet, tweetable? No, definitely not tweetable. First Timothy 6.6. 6. I, I say it because I, I, I love you. And I also say it because I got to deal with it too. Okay. You're not alone in this. No one here is perfect. Okay. First Timothy 6.6 6 says godliness. He says godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied with contentment. So here's the question. Here's the test for yourself. Are you content right now? Are you truly content? Or do you just keep scrolling? Keep looking for a boost. I'm just telling you, set it aside, at least today for Sabbath. Do you struggle with contentment? What's slowing you down? What's weighing you down? The writer of Hebrews says, throw off everything. Most things, some... What can I afford? He says, throw off everything that hinders and slows you down, slows down your performance, that sabotages our faith. That's number one. Number two, he says, throw off, quote, the sin that so easily entangles. Sin in its simplest form is disobeying the rules of God, but but the definition from there gets much more complicated, but we're not going to get into complicated. Let's just keep it simple. Sin is disobeying God. Sin is is going against the owner's manual. And I think the emphasis here is narrowly on personal sin. If we were to study all of Hebrews, it would really be the sin of unbelief. That's really what the author's focused on here. That's the biggest personal sin that the author here is concerned about, but it does get more complicated. So the question is, what sin entangles you? I've been walking around with, with, uh, with my shoe untied. So... In your life, what's, what's untied right now in your life that you're tripping over? Just think about it for a second. Now, we spend so much time focusing on avoiding the major sins. Well, at least I'm not like that. Well, I, I'll never do that again. Well, those poor folks that were in the video, well, I've never tried heroin. I've never been on the H train. At least that's fine. Got other, I've, got other, I've got other vices. My team's a little worried that I know that reference. Okay, sorry. But what about other addictions? This might be my last sermon, folks. So I've made a, mention, I've made a reference to an illicit drug. Stick with me. Like what? What kind of sins am I thinking of? I'm thinking about acceptable sins. I'm thinking about things we know are not right according to God's word, but we say it's acceptable. I mean, I, we justify ourselves. But if we were to say it uh, online, we say it in a group of friends, and we say, well, hold up scripture, what does Jesus say? We know it's wrong. 
and yet we give ourselves a pass. We want to give someone else a pass. Certainly if something is misspoken from this place, you won't give that person a pass, but we give ourselves a pass for thinking those things. What do I have in mind? Here's a list of a few. And think about where this list comes from. It either comes from, from apathy or inattention or disregard, anger. Do you need to confess right now that right now you've, you have so much anger inside of you towards another person or someone you don't even know, just a, a thing or a group that you need to confess? How about Pride. Are you overly proud? You need to check yourself and have the humility of Christ in you. How about prejudice? I've never said the N-word. Okay. Gold star. When you talk about those people, you need to confess. Judgmentalism. Discontent. Selfish, selfishness. How about self-control? Any of these things entangling you, tripping you up, slowing you down? I'm not saying it. God's word is saying it. You don't have a beef with me. Take it up with Jesus. He's saying his way is better. And if you say, yes, hallelujah, amen, well, then let's follow what he says. And he says, deal with with that junk in your life. Get untangled. When we run with Jesus, inspired by those who've gone before, throwing off and out of our life those things that are holding us down, the Spirit will also deal with those subtle sins that trip us up. Say, man, I've gone so far in my walk with Jesus, I've gone through all the mud, I've gone up and down, the slings and arrows of whatever discontent, I, I, I missed that Shakespeare one, And yet now God wants me to deal with this one? Why do I have to deal with something all the time? Why can't he work on his stuff? Why do I have, right? Isn't that happening? Is that happening right now? Turn to the loved one you're sitting with right now. You're saying, they have some things they could work on. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I'm talking to you, to me. Romans 7, 11, this is serious business. It says, sin is deadly. And yet it's subtle. So the word says, free yourself by by recognizing acceptable sin for what it is. Don't call it a mistake. Oh, it's just a mistake. Don't name it a bad habit. Oh, you know me. It's just a weakness that I have. It's just the way I was raised. Don't do that. You'll never lose it. You'll never drop it that way. Name it for what it is. Have someone in your life to hold you accountable, to pray over you, to know God's grace is there for you. God's grace is greater than the sin that is within us, right? Amen? Isn't that what we pray? Romans 5.20, when sin increases, grace increases all the more. Name it and say, Lord, please free me from that. So, First lesson in the midst of Christian living, in the midst of of this crisis and troubling times, number one, let's get inspired by those who've gone before us. Number two, let's reject worldliness. It's countercultural. It will look strange to people around you. You're probably doing it the right way if someone says, "Uh, what is your family doing? What what is this all about? Where are you putting? 
it's probably on the right track if you look a little weird for following Jesus. Number three, identify, target, and kill sin in your life. And the fourth and final lesson today, number four, look to Jesus. Jesus is setting the pace. He is the trailblazer. My nephew finished that race in, in under an hour. Didn't see him until the whole thing was over. Jesus paces himself so we can see him. We can see where he's headed. Are you sure, Lord? That way? And isn't it funny? Jesus often takes us through the hard way. Like, can I go around this hill or this obstacle? Do I have to have that uncomfortable conversation? Someone just texted me right before this service, being put in a very awkward position, for looking for advice. What should I say to this loved one who wants me to do something that is not aligned with my, my values? It's not aligned with what the Lord would have me do. Jesus, why do I have to have that conversation? And he says, keep coming. Come on. Keep up. Keep our eyes on Jesus. Look what the author says here. He says, verse two, fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So two questions before we look at fixing our eyes on Jesus. I want to ask you this question. What obstacles right now are in your way? Can you think of an obstacle in your life right now that you're facing? Maybe it's you got to climb through the mud under barbed wire or, or up over what, what is that? Name it right now. Let's give it to the Lord. Where do you see God's grace in the midst of that? Now, where are you in the midst of this? Where is he giving you a sign that he's present? And now verse two, look to Jesus. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus. Rivet your eyes on the cross because he's the pioneer, the trailblazer, and he is our reward. Look what it says. Look at the text. We're wrapping up. We're there almost it says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That means Jesus knew what would happen and what would result in his obedience to the Father. That going to the cross, enduring that pain was worth it because he was going to win our salvation because he was going to be able to reward you with eternal life. That was the joy set before him. Jesus endured all the mess of people all the mess that the world had made, all the hostility, all the jeers and spitting and name-calling, the virus of sin, the sickness and twisted definitions of love, all of the injustice for the joy set before him beyond that obstacle, he did it for love. That's the good news. The author says, quote, he endured the cross scorning its shame. Underline that, that's in your scripture. Scorning its shame. That means Jesus thought so little of the pain, the shame, the bruises and the scars. They said, no, I'm just running right through this thing. The witnesses laughing and spitting at him, no one cheering him on, yet he climbed that hill and hung on a cross for you and for me and the world. He wasn't a victim he was the victor. And after it was finished, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. It means that, that he now reigns supreme. Look at what Jesus, look at what Jesus, it says here of Jesus, verse three, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary 
and lose heart. Friends, life is like a race with its shares and ups and downs and obstacles, but you are never running this race alone. Jesus has opened up a new and living way, Hebrews 10, 20. He will help you finish the race. He's helping us now, Hebrews 7, 25. Come on up, team. Pastor B's going, we keep coming. Come, get ready. Here we go. Imagine what would be different if you really followed through on these Christian principles and applied them, not in the gym, not in past. Well, years ago, I, I did this and I thought, you know, right now, in the midst of a pandemic and social unrest, look to those who've gone before. Create a circle, a team around you, a small group of people to encourage you. Drop the weight of worldliness and pursue godliness instead. Don't waste your, your energy on nonsense. Identify, name, and kill sin that's tripping you up. Gain control over your body. Gain control over your mind. And fix your eyes on Jesus. Connect to the source of power. I'm telling you, you and I, and all of us here on the stage would be much better off. You'd be further along in your journey. You'd be more spiritually mature. You'd experience more joy, contentment, peace, and the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that we're singing about every Sunday morning and most Thursday nights. If you drew closer to Jesus, you put these four things into practice so that every setback, every hardship, every obstacle would be seen as an opportunity for growth. And more than a growth, more than navel-gazing and some reward for us, you know what happens? You're freed up to then lend a hand to someone else to get over the obstacle. Like you jump up that wall and you're going to reach down and help someone else up. And you won't cross that line until everyone gets through. Come on, you can do it. Come on. You're going to cheer people on. And it will cost you. It will, you'll make sacrifices but you will be doing God's work. God bless you. Wherever you are right now, whatever Egypt, as we're about to sing, that you're facing, know that God's with you. Know that there's a, a team that wants to circle you, bless you, and support you through all that you're facing. You're not alone. We're here for you. Amen.